Have you or any of your loved ones ever experienced trauma? And have you ever wanted to understand it better? Today, I'll share the facts and myths about trauma as we currently understand it in the field of medicine. Welcome to The Happy Wizard. I'm your host, Dr. Shiva Guide. I'm a board-certified and licensed clinical psychologist, a public speaker, and an educator. In this podcast series, I'll be sharing strategies to help you heal from the past, navigate everyday challenges, and create a much more meaningful life. Hi, I'm Dr. G, and I'm happy to talk to you today about the science that informs our current understanding of trauma. So this is part one of a series that we are going to do on trauma, and it's full of psychoeducation. Um, some of you might be asking, well, why do I have to learn all of this, this vocabulary and all of these terms? And what I'll tell you is that over the course of my career, what one thing that I've learned is that one of the biggest challenges when it comes to treatment is ignorance. And that's not being used as an insult. I'm just simply saying that there's a tremendous lack of knowledge out there. And most people don't actually know a whole lot about trauma. People have associations and, you know, they have an idea of what they think trauma is or what it was for them, but they don't actually know a lot about the science of trauma. So by learning some of the science, and for me, by teaching people about the science, I feel like we can start building a foundation on which we can learn the new skills that we need in order to get better. And that's what makes you healthy. I find that once I break this trauma stuff down for people, they start to understand that they're not weak, they're not broken, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just injured they got stuck. So my job as a professional in the field is then to help you get unstuck. And the good news is that all of these concepts are really simple. And I think for most people that I've worked with is that really breaking things down makes it feel more surmountable. It it feels a little bit less overwhelming. We can overcome this. And that's really important because people have to have hope. And once you lose hope, bad things start to happen. I think that understanding the language of trauma and trauma treatment, and also all the underlying science that explains, you know, why and how you got stuck, it it might actually make you feel a lot more validated um, in addition to being more hopeful. And I get this feedback from people all the time, whether it's patients or it's people that I'm giving a presentation for. So after learning everything that I'm going to teach you through the course of all of these episodes for this trauma series, my hope is that all of you will feel much more empowered to make whatever necessary changes you have to make in your life in order to recover from the chronic symptoms of trauma. And if it's somebody that you know that's suffering from trauma, you'll have a much better understanding. You know, most importantly, we're adding in more tools into your toolbox and honing some life skills uh, that you may not have been as well-versed at. And that's never a disadvantage. Whether you have trauma or not, these are things that are going to help you. They'll, They'll help you recover from trauma and at least get you back to baseline. But they might also help you grow even beyond your baseline. Um, we, 
actually have a term for this in the field. It's not a new concept. It's the, it's an old idea. It's just a new terminology. And we call that post-traumatic growth. Many of the people that I've worked with over the years have actually ended up becoming just a healthy, healthier version. In fact, the healthiest version of themselves and healthier than they were even before they had this traumatic experience. And now they're just thriving, you know, after a lifetime maybe of suffering from mental illness and, and, you know, psychiatric symptoms or trauma. You know, at the very least, what I hope is that this knowledge teaches you some ways that you can protect your brain and maintain mental health. You know, mental health impacts physical health and ultimately our quality of life. So I think learning how to create a healthy lifestyle, especially if you already know that you have a sensitive brain, it's so important. And the reason is, is because it's protective. You know, the bottom line is life is unpredictable. I always like to say life is life-threatening. And nobody ever knows what's uh, in the future for us. But if you are armed with lots of tools and lots of skills, then you have a chance at not getting stuck the next time something traumatic happens. And health, you know, um, I don't know about all of you out there, but is there anything really more important than health and, and our loved ones and maybe their health? Personally, I don't think so. I think that's where it's at. I think that's all that matters in life. Okay, so let's get this show on the road now, and let's start talking about what is trauma. You know, this word actually gets thrown around quite a bit, and the truth is uh, a lot of people even use the word um, incorrectly. Some, Some people use it correctly, but some people don't use it to actually describe trauma. Sometimes you'll hear someone casually using the term, throwing it out there saying, oh my gosh, I'm so upset that that was so traumatizing. And it really wasn't, uh, something we would consider, um, at least in the clinical sense, a traumatic event. And sometimes people are, you know, referring even jokingly. And so I think this is where it gets a little bit dicey because, uh, when we start using clinical words, uh, like trauma in a sort of loose way, then it can be very confusing, especially to people who actually have a history of trauma for other people. You know, the word trauma has a lot more gravity. It's a lot heavier. And I can tell you in the work I've done, you know, for some people, it almost seems like trauma is a dirty word, you know, or at least it's a word that they avoid. They don't like to use that word trauma. And sometimes they don't like to use the words of the specific type of trauma, especially if they had uh, childhood sexual trauma or they had been raped. And I've uh, definitely been in a room where somebody has said, Hey, doc G, can you please not say that word? You know, and very unfortunately, I have to say, nope, I'm not going to avoid saying that word. In fact, we're going to get you to the point that you're comfortable saying that word. Um, That's how we recover. If you've already listened to my earlier podcast on words, I think it's called Words Matter, then you know that we all tend to use a lot of words in a really careless way. And what I'd like to offer is that, you know, maybe we can all be a little bit more mindful and pay a little bit more attention to the way that we use our words, because 
There's really a gravity to a word. Words carry weight. And sometimes that weight feels like a lot of baggage because one word can conjure up like an entire story or set of stories in our past. Um, or it can conjure up, you know, assumptions about our, our future um, or a story, sometimes an unhealthy story about our present. So, Again, moving on, what is trauma? So I want to throw out a question to all of my listeners right now, and I want you to take a few seconds and think about how do you define the word trauma? What does it mean to you? When you use the word trauma, are you referring to an actual event? So, you know, for example, when you're thinking about it or talking to someone close to you, do you use the word trauma to replace the rape, the childhood abuse, the domestic violence, the combat experience, the natural disaster, the mass shooting, the life-threatening accident, or whatever? Do you use the word trauma to sort of cover that instead of specifying what type of trauma is it or was it? Or do you use the word trauma to describe the fallout, the consequences, what happened to you after that specific event or that traumatic life experience? Or do you use the word trauma to describe both the actual time-limited event as well as the, the maybe months, weeks, months, and years that followed, um, or the events that followed that initial event. And, you know, the nature of each trauma is so different. Um, but I want you all right now to think about how you tend to define the word trauma. I'm going to offer some ideas and some definitions so that you have a framework to help you understand what trauma is and isn't. Um, but I don't, at the end of this, that, you know, there's no, specific right or wrong. We do have specific clinical definitions for trauma and we'll go through all of those. Um, but this is just to get you all to think about this further. And it's also important for me to clarify, I think before we go any further, that, um, the psychoeducation that I'm providing, I know that's a really weird word, psychoeducation, but it means the education on anything psychological, um, that mostly I will be coming from a clinical perspective. What that means is that if you were to go in and see a doctor, that this is likely the way that they would also conceptualize your situation. Of course, you know, having said that, I will tell you like in any other field, there are professionals who are more knowledgeable and those who are less well-versed in diagnosing and treating trauma-related issues. Um, trauma is actually a specialization. And, you know, although most mental health care providers across the field, and what, so what I mean is like psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, psychiatrists are your drugs docs, psychologists are your hugs docs, and then also counselors and marriage and family therapists or social workers, those are all master's level counselors. Um, most providers will have patients or, or clients who have histories of trauma because it's very common. Unfortunately, however, you know, not all training is equivalent in this area. And there are truly, 
is a specific evidence-based and empirically supported methodology to treating not only trauma-related disorders, but also anxiety disorders in general. And I'm going to delve and nerd out and go into all of these in later episodes, but uh, it's just something to keep in mind because... um, there's not necessarily similarity across the field, like any other field. And you might be thinking, like, why does it matter? Why am I giving you this caveat? Well, you know, I think that you'll understand quickly once we start to get into the weeds um, that there are lots of misconceptions. And so for PTSD, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's often misdiagnosed. Sometimes it's overdiagnosed. Sometimes it's underdiagnosed. And Um, you know, the misconceptions that we have about PTSD and the other trauma-related disorders, they're not just held by patients and the lay population in general, but sometimes they're also held by providers depending on their background and level of training. Um, You know, at the very least, my goal here for this podcast series on trauma is to just speak directly to all of you and arm you with education and knowledge that you need to understand trauma better. And in all of the episodes that follow this one, and I do strongly recommend that you listen to this trauma series chronologically as they are posted by date, so in order, you are also going to learn how trauma symptoms develop and how we recover from trauma. All right. Okay. So enough of that. Let's uh, get started and let's dive in. What is trauma? I know I've been teasing you up to now, but we're really going to get into it. Um, What is trauma? What is trauma? Trauma is a psychological injury. And most often what we're talking about is psychological injury that has occurred in the context of life threat. This type of injury can lead to a number of really significant and noticeable changes in a person's life. And these changes can occur both internally and externally. So let's talk about these. So internally, we can see the impact of trauma in a few different ways. There's usually a change in what we call cognitions. Okay, what what are cognitions? That's just a fancy word we use to describe the thoughts, beliefs, attitudes. You know, in the context of trauma work, we also use words like worldview or trauma narrative. I like to really use the word and refer to the term stories, right? We all have a story and these are your stories Um, because... What starts as a trauma narrative quickly expands across all of your thought processing. There's a process of generalization. That's actually what gets us sick down the line. Internally, we also see other kinds of change in a person in the area of emotions, emotions, feelings, same thing. And research across all cultures has really highlighted what is uh, being thought of as a set of primary emotions. Um, And this means, you know, the primary emotions tend to be biologically driven. So we think that they just, all humans experience them. And a lot of cross-cultural research has shown across all, all over the world uh, that there are these five primary emotions and they include happiness, 
sadness, anger, fear, and disgust. Um, there are some other emotions that you know, are thought of as primary, but maybe they're more socially driven things like surprise, contempt, guilt, and we'll be going into much more detail about all of these in the episodes that follow. Okay. So back to the areas of impact. So internally trauma also affects our biology. What is biology? I mean, it's literally our organ systems, uh, the chemistry, hormones, tissues, you know, and on and on. And so when we experience a psychological injury, a trauma, um, and especially once we get stuck and we are no longer going down that more common path of recovery, because of all the different contributing factors, we actually start to see some physical and neurochemical changes in the brain. And, and then the problem with that, of course, is once your brain becomes unhealthy, then everything starts to go sideways. And a lot of other organ systems in, in, throughout your entire body start to break down because, of course, the brain runs all of our other organs. Um, there's also another internal area of impact I like to bring up because it's, um, and we're just going to call this maybe our sense of spirituality. And that can, that can be for some people, that's their religiosity. But, um, I'm using this term spiritual in a much broader way. And, you know, Certainly, there are many people who are not religious in a formal sense, but I, I personally would like to think that there's room in everybody's life for a sense of spirituality. You know, maybe that's just the idea that there's something bigger than us, or there's a sense of connectedness that we can have, maybe to ourselves, to other people, you know, the world, Mother Earth. Really, I think spirituality can be defined in many different ways, and I don't think there's a wrong or a right or even a consensus, um, but I think that it can be very beneficial to people to have this sense of spirituality. Okay, so that's a broad summary of some of the ways that trauma can impact or affect us internally or inside, right? Cognitions, the way we think, uh, feelings, the way we feel, and then biologically, right? The actual, just in neurochemical, physiological ways. Um, and then spiritually. And what that means is, is that these are ways that that trauma affects us that may not always be necessarily obvious or something that other people can see right away from the outside because they are internal and we can get really good at hiding them. And that's one of the problems, actually. That's one of the behaviors that can set someone down a really unhealthy path. Okay, so trauma is a psychological injury that also has some impact in some very external ways. Often, one of the first things that we see is that this affects a person socially. So what I mean by that is interpersonal relationships. And this includes close relationships with family members, friends, a spouse, and even a person's children. Um, but it also means the way that a person might tend to interact around strangers or just acquaintances. And of course, you know, another area of external impact is that we might see some serious impact in the work or professional setting. So somebody can start to have problems occupationally 
because of some of these internal problems. Like, for example, you know, they have trouble concentrating or they're starting to have lower productivity because they're feeling so sleep deprived or there, there is sleep deprivation going on or sleep disturbance, or now because they're avoiding a lot of things, even at work, um, because of that increased chronic anxiety and, um, anxiety episodes or panic attacks, that avoidance is now having some negative impact in the occupational setting in the professional world. Um, so those are the ways that trauma can impact us internally and externally. And clearly you can see how the impact of trauma can span over every part of our life. Trauma can also be a single event like a rape or a time-limited life-threatening accident, or it can be a series of events or repeated traumatic events that occur within a time, usually a specific time frame. For example, domestic violence is usually not just a one single event. It is uh, something that occurs and it's often very insidious. That means, you know, as it starts, it's really hard to see because it kind of ramps up slowly. But that usually happens over a period of time. Um, people who go on repeated combat deployments, often those deployments are seven to 10 months um, or any amount of length of time, but it's more than just one distinct um, event. And, and of course, the obvious ongoing childhood abuse. Uh, sometimes, People can go through one specific molestation event, but more commonly, um, child abuse can be an ongoing thing for anywhere from months to years and even decades. And of course, that includes emotional, verbal, physical, or sexual abuse or neglect. Traumatic events can be experienced by one person or by many people. So, you know, if we think about even this ongoing global pandemic, which is a global trauma, um, it has been experienced, I mean, you know, and that's historically remarkable. It's been experienced literally by everybody on the planet, um, even if it's not directly experienced. But I think with social media, we are all at the very least vicariously experiencing this trauma. And then also, you know, natural disasters like tsunamis, earthquakes, fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, um, and of course the ever increasing mass shootings, school shootings, and all of those kinds of traumatic events that are experienced by large groups of people. Some of the common trauma reactions that people experience, and, and we'll be going into a lot more detail later and describing each of these, but just to kind of throw out um, some uh, to get you thinking, um, sometimes people have a lot of re-experiencing. What that means is, you know, they might be having flashbacks or intrusive thoughts or intrusive uh, images. Um, they may feel what we call hyper aroused. So that could be, you know, hyper vigilance or nightmares that kind of, you know, easily startled that kind of thing. Um, there's always avoidance, right? Um, usually avoidance of anything anxiety provoking. Um, we will often see a change in a person's belief systems. And that's so what we call that is a change in worldview. And that's the way that we view ourselves, other people and the world in general, life in general. We see chronic emotional states that will set in, like uh, after trauma, a person will just be 
angry, pissed off all the time, or feel chronically ashamed or guilty, um, or just afraid everywhere they go, everywhere they go, or very, very depressed, very sad. And then of course, um, one very, very common area that is really affected by any kind of mental illness is sleep. And so we see sleep disturbance like insomnia, uh, or nightmares. And if there's excessive depression, then it could be hypersomnia as well. So, um, let's take a step back. Um, and let's go down, uh, let's get down and dirty and talk about the risk of developing trauma symptoms and also our resilience that keeps us most of us at least from getting stuck in the first place after experiencing a life threatening or violating or horrifying, terrifying type of event. Here are the facts, and the, the, this might not feel like good news for m- some of you, but uh, I think it's really important that we kind of have an honest conversation about this. So we believe that half to two-thirds of all people will experience some sort of traumatic event in their lifetime. Okay, so I mean, basically, that's probably most people, right? Um, and certainly after COVID, we can say everybody. Um, and you know, okay, sure. Maybe there are a few people on the planet who've just somehow escaped trauma most of their lives. Uh, but you know, at this point, I think we've all been exposed to to some horrible aspect of, of COVID. And although, um, this hasn't necessarily affected many people, uh, perhaps it's just what I do for a living. And the fact that most of my, the people in my personal circle are in healthcare. And I'll tell you, you know, it's been a gnarly two years. So for those of you that don't feel like this has, uh, directly impacted you, I have personally treated patients whose families were almost completely wiped out by COVID within just the few months after the lockdown. It's no joke. Okay, anyway, I digress. Um, But back to the facts about trauma. Most people, many people will experience trauma symptoms immediately after that traumatic experience. And most people will experience trauma. And again, we're going to go into a lot more detail um, in some of the episodes that follow. But listen up. It's a much, much smaller percentage of people that go on to develop a longer lasting set of symptoms. And for example, you know, end up getting diagnosed or not with a trauma-related disorder. Uh, Something that most people don't seem to realize is that also PTSD is only one of many different trauma-related types of diagnoses. People seem to think that's like the only one, the one and only, and you definitely have it if you go through something traumatic. And that's just simply not true. Trauma actually, interestingly, manifests really differently in different people. And some people will end up developing a major depressive disorder, MDD, or a more pervasive type of mood disorder. Some people, a very small percentage, do develop post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as in they will end up meeting specific criteria for that disorder. And some people actually just end up developing a much more longstanding chronic anxiety disorder like GAD, generalized anxiety disorder, or phobias, right? Phobias are specific fears about like something specific. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon for people to have more than one diagnosis. And if you have one diagnosis, there's a likelihood you'll have another or a few. Um, I would say that a majority of the people that I've worked with have had more than one diagnosis because things just hang together. Um, 
and not to go off on a tangent, but, you know, for example, PTSD and substance abuse or dependency, um, like alcoholism or drug addiction or prescription pill abuse. Um, that's been a lot more common past in the past couple decades, but those tend to hang together. Or for example, like anxiety disorders and eating disorders or social phobia now called social anxiety disorder and alcoholism. You know, you get the idea, these kind of hang together, um, and, you know, back to basics, if you've had any long-standing anxiety disorder, chances are that you have some mood issues, for example, depression, that's also developed down the line, because that's just a two-for-one special. All right, so let's talk numbers. You know, I, I believe that numbers don't usually lie. Uh, granted, you know, there's always some wiggle room in most statistics about mental illness, because not everyone is honest or going to a doctor and getting help. Um you know, so, uh, there is a point where if someone decides not to die by suicide, they'll generally go get help. That's their rock bottom, but there are a lot of people that don't. And so statistics, um, are always kind of ballpark, but, um, the statistics on recovery, and I'll share this information, but again, there's always some variability in research findings across different populations. Um, so what I suggest is please try not to latch on to any specific numbers, um, but understand the general gist or trend of things. Uh, despite some variability among individual studies looking at specific populations, um, different types of disasters and different kinds of trauma, believe it or not, natural recovery is the most common outcome. So some of you might be thinking, well, what do you mean, Doc G? Like how common? Well, okay, and hold on to your seat. In general, if we were to look at like meta-analyses of studies, in general, 70 to 90% of people who experience trauma actually recover. Okay, let me break this down for all of you. Because some of you might be like, okay, 70 to 90, that's a pretty big range. For traumas like child abuse, rape, domestic violence, natural disasters, combat, uh, life-threatening accidents, that number is closer to 85, 90%. That's surprising, right? I mean, that seems surprising. Um, it's not at all, I think, what the general public seems to think and what patients seem to think. Part of the problem is that the news and media have kind of latched onto this term, PTSD, um, and it's just become synonymous with the word traumatic event or trauma. And I think that this is a real disservice for people because then people end up latching onto this term themselves and almost feel defined by it. You know, and what I'll say at this point, just to plant a seed, is that we know a lot more about PTSD and the anxiety and trauma disorders in general um, nowadays versus like post-World War II or the Vietnam era. And some of those old and outdated ideas about PTSD, unfortunately, continue to linger on. And some people think that, you know, no matter what, if you go through trauma, you'll get PTSD, you'll never get rid of it. It's like leprosy or something. And this just isn't true. Um, we know now that PTSD is not a forever diagnosis. I'm going to say that again. PTSD 
for example, this particular specific trauma disorder called PTSD, it is not a forever diagnosis. It's actually really simple to treat, as in we can make the symptoms go away forever. For, you know, the two decades I've done this work with hundreds, actually probably thousands of patients in group and individual settings, that's what's happened. Um, I need to make a side note here before I forget that just on mass violence, because if you're listening really closely, you're like, well, what about that 70% of people that recover? For whatever reason, we are seeing a significantly higher number of people develop PTSD, and it's closer to like 30% after mass violence events. And, you know, we just don't understand that completely yet. It's it, We think somehow that it's qualitatively different than other kinds of trauma. You know, some have suggested maybe it's because it's just a really sinister uh, type of crime and uh, the nature of that type of trauma is just so sinister that somebody would just go randomly shoot up a crowd of people they don't know. Anyway, the jury's still out on that, but it is somehow distinctly different and higher than all the other kinds of trauma. Okay, so I'm going to reiterate this. In general, 70 to 90% of all people who go through something traumatic, that means life-threatening, recover. That means it is a very, 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 very small percentage of people, a smaller percentage than the majority who recover that end up developing a trauma disorder. And again, PTSD is only one of many different ways that longer-term symptoms show up. Are you surprised to hear this? I mean, this isn't really popular opinion, right? This isn't what a lot of people talk about or what is conveyed in the news and the media. Another thing I really want to point out, and this is really important, sometimes when I teach this, my patients who've been diagnosed with PTSD suddenly feel really guilty or ashamed, you know, um, and sometimes very angry uh, about this set of statistics that I share. Um, sometimes they feel really devastated because, you know, knowing this, somehow they end up feeling incompetent or inadequate, you know, which generally they're already feeling because of the trauma symptoms. Um, and they'll often say, oh, so there's, so this just proves the point that there's something wrong with me that I'm not like most people. Most people are normal. They recover that there's really something defective about me. And I mean, although on the surface, sure, it's easy to jump to a conclusion like this, um, especially if you have an unhealthy thought process going on already, you know, these statistics and facts and findings are really from more recent research in the field. And my intention is not to make you feel bad or make people, uh, think further that they are defective, but just really to educate and also empower all of you and the people that I speak with or teach. There may be only a small percentage of people, and you might be one of that group, who develop the more chronic trauma, and that mostly means anxiety and depression symptoms. But we know that you or they develop them for a very good set of reasons. So it's le legit why you developed these. And we're going to go into all of that detail so you have a full understanding of this. Um, so the next thing we probably have to address 
is, and some of you are probably thinking, well, what, what is the difference? You know, what is the, what's different about the people who develop a more longstanding mental illness, that smaller percentage, that minority of people. And that's something we're going to dive into in part two of the, what is trauma episode. We'll stop here for today. Be sure to tune in for the next episode. Um, I've planted some seeds and here are some questions that you can ask yourself and think about today. How do you define trauma? And do you think that you have experienced trauma in your life? If so, how did you react? Did it lead to noticeable changes in you or in your home or your work life? Or did any of your relationships change? And, um, As usual, I try to leave you on a hopeful note. Uh, If you are currently suffering from the aftermath of a traumatic life experience, I want to remind you that trauma is treatable. Trauma-related symptoms can and often with treatment do resolve completely in a pretty short amount of time. Humans are incredibly resilient, and that includes you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you've learned at least one new thing that you can practice this week. Please feel free to share feedback and submit ideas for future topics at happywizardpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, stay safe and healthy until we meet again.